Welcome to Waterbrook Church, located in Victoria, Minnesota. Our new series in Luke called Glorious Disruption, being taught by our senior pastor, Kevin Dibley, is about when Jesus shows up and turns everyone's world upside down. We believe this study of God's word is about to turn many people's lives completely around. It may be even upside down because that's what happens in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus comes to people who are absolutely stunned and amazed by him, and they are profoundly and gloriously changed forever. Let's begin by praying that this happens here at Waterbrook and beyond for our joy and amazement in Jesus. Let's worship together. Leading us this morning, Jacob, thanks for coming and Taylor and your family. Welcome, guys. It's so good to see you guys again. It's only been a few weeks since you guys moved, but I feel like it's been forever. It's good to see you again. Uh, hey, if you're visiting this morning, uh, welcome. We're thankful that you're with us, uh, be it here in person or online. Uh, happy Father's Day. To all you fathers, um, those of you who uh, long to be fathers but aren't, uh, I believe God has a word of grace for all of us today as our good father who loves us, who delights in us. Uh, So for those of you who are fathers, thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your labor. Thank you for the burdens that you carry. Um, Man, I am sure so much of it goes unnoticed and unthanked. So we just want to honor you today. Thank you. We love you guys. And uh, keep going by the grace of God. Amen. All right, hey, so uh, at the end of this passage, Jesus says that even uh, evil fathers know how to give good gifts to their children. How much more will our Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask of Him? So why don't we, before we go any further, ask God to pour out His Spirit that we might hear Him this morning. So let's pray together. Father, thank You that we can bank on your promises because you are a good father. Thank you, Lord, that you have promised to give your Holy Spirit to those who ask. And so we as your children, your church, we know and we believe that we are indwelt by your Spirit and we're praying right now that the Holy Spirit would open up our ears, open up our hearts and minds that we might see you, know you, love you, and worship you. Thank you that you have been pleased to adopt us into your family. You've given us a spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So speak to your children, we pray. We ask that you would be glorified and our joy would be full. In your name we pray, amen. All right, so I love uh, the providence of God. A few weeks ago, Pastor Kevin asked if I could... uh, preach today for Father's Day, and in my mind, I immediately scramble to thinking, okay, it's Father's Day, should probably preach a text that exalts in God as our Father, and so I started thinking of different passages that I could go to, and then, you know, as like a second thought, I go to Luke's Gospel, where we are, which I should have gone to right away, and I, and I see where we are in our sermon series, and we, you know, Luke chapter 11, where Jesus tells us to pray, calling God our Father, which is so sweet. Isn't it? So I just want to say this. This is a good word from your Father in Heaven uh, because none of your pastors are clever enough or detailed enough to plan this one in advance. So, <laughs> so uh, God loves us, doesn't he? He sure does. Um, so I want to say something right off the bat. I know for a lot of us here, maybe some of us, uh, relating to God as Father isn't the easiest thing in the world. Uh, wounds go deep. Bitterness is real. Resentment is true. Maybe, maybe you're a father and you're just full of regrets. And so hearing this is, mm, doesn't give us a warm and fuzzies. 
So before we go any further, I want to read this quote that I thought was super helpful from Daryl Johnson. He's a longtime pastor and professor up in Canada. And he's, uh, he wrote this while he's commenting on the difficulty of praying to God the Father. So I want to read this. And if you're struggling this morning calling God Father, would you dare to believe this to be true? It might set you free. It says, a number of years ago, I was wrestling with this. I said to Jesus, I like your prayer but it would be so much more inviting for more people if you had taught us to pray the prayer to you. Where are you in this prayer? And in my mind, I heard John 14, 9, which says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. I sense Jesus saying to me, the Father is just like me. The Father, God the Father, is just as good, just as gentle, just as kind, just as approachable, just as vulnerable, just as welcoming, just as generous as Jesus. Jesus' open arms are the open arms of his his Father. Jesus' open heart is the open heart of his Father. It is the passion of Jesus to to help us know his Father as he knows him, to love his Father as he loves him, to trust his Father as he trusts him. Isn't that good? So may God give us the grace to to see the Father as we look to Christ today. So over the last uh, several weeks, we have seen in Luke's gospel how Jesus is set on going to Jerusalem. And back in chapter 9, there's a, a decisive turn in the gospel of Luke. It says that Jesus set his face like a flint to Jerusalem. He's going to the cross. He came to seek and save the lost, and he is set on doing it. And he starts telling his followers, his disciples, my mission, well, it's your mission. As I'm going to bear the cross, to suffer in your place, to follow me, you must carry your cross daily. Deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow me. And so over the last several weeks, Pastor Kevin has been uh, looking at and exhorting us of of hindrances to following Jesus on mission, the daily self-denial, cross-bearing mission that he calls us to. And uh, several weeks ago, he he spoke on toxic anxiety. I would just live in a culture that is full of anxiety, gripped by fear. It is the norm by which we live. And several weeks ago, he, he preached on toxic self-righteousness, how we all have that inner lawyer in us, seeking to justify ourselves, just like the, uh, the lawyer that came to Jesus, trying to justify himself by asking, who is my neighbor? Praise God, we have a great Samaritan Jesus who rescues us. And then last week, I'm sure not a single one of us could relate, I don't even know why you preach that, but toxic busyness, right? (laughs) We uh, live in a busy, chaotic world uh, where the busyness of our lives can throw us off mission in no time. So over the last several weeks, um, Kevin has been sharing things that hinder us from the mission, things that get us off rail of the mission. Now, I want to say this. One of the things that I have loved so much about being part of the Waterbrook family over the last years is the genuine, earnest, God-given desire that so many of us have to actually live for Jesus in our everyday lives, to live on his mission, to count the cost, and to not, by God's grace, buy into the American dream, but wanting to follow Jesus on mission in our everyday lives. I love hearing stories of folks seeking to make Christ known in the workplace. I love hearing stories of hearing parents pleading that their kids might come to know Christ. I'm, I love hearing stories of, of neighbors getting creative with how to make friends with their neighbors, how to invite them in. I love the earnest, God-given desire that Waterbrook, that God has given us. It is a gift from God to genuinely follow Jesus on mission. It's beautiful, and I thank God for it. 
along with that, there's hardly a week that goes by that um, I'm not talking with some of you and myself included in this, where we're just exhausted. We don't know how much longer we can go. Because when we start living on mission for Jesus, we start getting into the mess of people's lives, we suddenly realize, oh, this can be painful. Oh, the people who I love so deeply might actually reject me. The people I love so deeply might actually turn away. The, my, my, my greatest efforts fall woefully short. And we're just wondering, how much longer can I go? We really do resonate with the Apostle Paul, don't we, when he says, we are sorrowful yet always rejoicing. There's this beautiful blend, this beautiful mix of rejoicing in the great grace of God, at the same time sorrowful over all the difficulties and hardships we face. So like I said, over the last several weeks, we've been talking about what prevents us or keep us, keeps us from engaging in cross-carrying mission. Today, I want to talk to us about what keeps us going over the long haul. The only way we're going to stay on mission over the long haul through the ups and downs is by tapping into and experiencing deep intimacy with our Father in prayer. So Jesus, in this text, he shows us how prayer can be a conduit for grace-giving, mission-sustaining intimacy with our Father in three ways. Number one, by embracing the paternal love of the Father. Number two, by joining the passionate pursuit of the Father. And number three, by asking petitions that please the Father. So let's get into it. Number one, embracing the paternal love of God the Father. Look with me at verse one. It says, Jesus, I'm sorry, now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished... One of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. So the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray. This is really interesting. Um, In all four Gospels, the only time that we have recorded the disciples asking Jesus to teach them anything is right here. Lord, teach us to pray. I mean, I don't know about you, if you were one of the original 12 and you were walking with Jesus, the things that you would have asked him to teach you, I would have asked, Lord, teach me to lead. Lord, teach me to pastor. Lord, teach me to to love my wife well. Lord, teach me, uh, the list could go on and on and on. Here in Luke's gospel, the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, it's it's said of Martin Luther, the old reformer, uh, that he once remarked, he said, I have so much to do today, I can't possibly get it all done unless I spend at least three hours in prayer. Now, that is counterintuitive, isn't it? I don't know about you, but I typically look at my daily calendar and think, I have so much to do today, I got to get going. I got so much to do today, I'll just pray as I go. I'll just listen to a podcast while I'm running. I'll, whatever it might be. The disciples got it right here. They got a lot wrong in the Gospels. They got this one right. <laughs> Lord, teach us to pray. Right here, Jesus is showing us the, the primacy in prayer. Listen, if we don't have a life devoted to prayer, we will never be on mission for Jesus. Um, I believe that uh, the disciples asked Jesus to pray because Jesus himself was a man of prayer. Always. You read the Gospels, in John's gospel, he says that he never does anything apart from the Father's will. You read Luke's gospel, from start to finish, you see Jesus in prayer. Jesus was a man of prayer. The God-man loved spending time with his Father. Jesus never did anything without prayer, and when he prayed, things happened. And so the disciples see Jesus praying and say, Lord, teach us to pray. Look with me at verse 2. It says, And he, that is Jesus, said to them, 
when you pray, say, Father. Father. Jesus is saying, before we go any further, before there's any more teaching, before we ask God for anything, the first thing that we need to understand and get into our soul is that God is our Father. He's our Father. I um, just thought about this now, Raul Allison, forgive me in advance. Um, this is sweet, Allison, so Allison and Raul's kids are here from California surprising Raul for Father's Day. Um, and Allison showed me a video on Friday of when they saw him at the coffee shop Friday morning and it was the sweetest thing, right? They're sneaking up, and you can kind of see in the background, they're talking, like, how are we going to approach him? And, and you see Raul at a table with some guys outside. And he looks up, double takes, and he goes, what are you doing here? You're in the wrong state. And, and they, they, they run up and just embrace him. And Raul's just like the happiest dad in the world to have his kids there. Jesus says, when we pray, Father, there's no greater pleasure of our father than for his children to run to him crying father there's nothing greater than this so i mean this is this is incredible in so many ways right even jesus let's let's talk about jesus for a minute here right back in luke chapter 2 i mean jesus always related to god as his father in luke chapter 2 when his family is uh jesus is just a, a young boy he's 12 years old they're, they're going to jerusalem to celebrate passover and you guys remember the story they celebrate the feast uh, the, the, the holiday Passover, and, and then they pack up their bags, they head back home to Nazareth, and a few days into the journey back home, they realize, oh no, Jesus isn't with us. We lost our kid. Uh, and so they turn back into Jerusalem, and uh, they're looking everywhere for Jesus, and where do they find him? But in the temple. And Mary's, you know, like any good mom would say, why did you do this? You're freaking us out. You guys remember what Jesus said? He said, didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? Or a few weeks ago in Luke chapter 10, we see Jesus spontaneously cry out with joy. He says, my father, I thank you, Lord of heaven and earth. Or on the cross, in the moment of agony, Jesus cries out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. And even in his very last breath, as he's paying for your debt and mine, he cries out, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. You see, when Jesus tells us to pray to God as our Father, he's saying something absolutely astonishing. He's saying, before we go any further, before we ask for anything, he's saying that by his grace, we have actually been welcomed into the same type of relationship that he has with his Father. That his God is our God, that his Father is our Father. We have the same access as the Son of God himself, to our Father. This is amazing. Which means that first and foremost, the way that we relate to God is by grace through and through. God has adopted us into his family by grace. God will love us and keep us as his children by grace. And God will make sure that he brings us safely home by grace alone. Our relationship with our Father is by grace through and through, top to bottom, inside and out, forward and backwards. God is gracious towards his children, will always be gracious towards his children. And I mean, we, we get this, right? I mean, how, which one of us can say that I deserve to be a child of God? Which one of us can look at our lives and say, oh yeah, of course he picked me. 
Uh, in fact, uh, Ephesians chapter 2 is very blunt about whose we were before God rescued us. The Apostle Paul says that we were actually by nature children of wrath. We were enemies of God. We were running in the other direction, but God in his amazing grace, unspeakable love, even before the foundation of the world, predestined us for adoption through Christ his son that we might receive his love, his grace, his mercy forever. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. But oh man, do we enjoy it. So I'm not sure about you, but when, when <laughs> I hear a sermon on prayer and relating to God as Father, uh, there can be this lingering sense of, of guilt and, and, and angst in us, can't there be? I mean, aren't we just so aware <laughs> as to how far short our prayer lives are or can be? Maybe we have like sweet seasons of intimacy with the Father, but on a normal week, we're just dry. And so we hear a sermon like this and we determine that, I'm, all right, I'm going to double down. I'm going to get it together. I'm going to pray more and I will be better from now on. This is going to be great. I'm going to start a prayer journal, a prayer list, prayer notes, prayer this, prayer that. I'm going to do it. And what we end up doing is we, we treat prayer and conversation with our Father more like a way of alleviating our guilt or our sense of inadequacy rather than simply enjoying the love and presence of our Father. I mean, we know what this is like, right? We, we determine we're going to go pray and we start talking to God and suddenly our minds are 10,000 other places and we're distracted all over the place and so we double down or we just quit. The Father, listen, when Jesus tells us that we're relating to God as Father and this is by grace alone, he's telling us something we really, really need to hear. He's telling us what the Father's disposition towards us is. The Father's leaning in. His heart is inclined towards you. He's listening intently. And he's not trying to catch you in some lie or fabrications or something that you've done. Listen, he already knows everything there is to know about you. He knows me and he knows you better than I know me and you know you. And he is determined to set his love on us anyways because of Christ. And so here's what's amazing. We don't have to be nervous in his presence. We don't have to feel guilty in his presence. Prayer isn't a nerve-wracking, make sure I say the right type of words, prayer time. Prayer isn't a duty to get God's attention. He's already inclined. Like any child should be safe and invited to run to their father and open up their hearts to them. Every child of God is invited to run to their father and open wide your hearts because your father is leaning in. Your father is listening. Friends, there are no second class, unwanted, overlooked, or forgotten children in the family of God. God has adopted us into his family as deeply loved children. So before we go any further in prayer, Jesus is telling us that when we come to God, we come to him as a child who is deeply loved. We are safe. We're delighted in. His arms are wide open and his heart is fully engaged. Wesley Hill says this. He says, go find a quiet place where you can relax. Unclench your fists. Breathe deeply. Let your heart rate decrease. Know that you're already bathed in the Father's love and simply ask for what you need in the assurance that the one to whom you're speaking is already cupping his ear in your direction. Listen, we don't 
we don't pray to get God's attention. Oh, he is so delighted to come on, for us to come on in. So let's boldly enjoy the paternal love of our Father. So here's, here's the reality. When we're on mission and everything seems to be collapsing around us, uh, we're not sure who's safe, who's not, who we can confide in, who we can't. When we feel betrayed every way, like we don't have a listening ear any, anywhere, we always have a listening, engaged, welcoming ear with our Father in heaven. The only way we'll stay engaged is by experiencing and embracing the deep love of our Father. The second mission-sustaining grace that intimacy with our Father in prayer gives us is that we get to join in the passionate pursuits of our Father. Let's pick it up again. And uh, Jesus says in verse 2, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. So after Jesus reorients our understanding as to who God is, our loving Father, he teaches us to pray in light of our Father's deep, passionate pursuits. He's, he's welcoming us to join in with what the Father is absolutely set on doing already. You can notice in the prayer there's a couple directions, right? There's uh, an upward Godward direction to this prayer. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. And then there's a, a horizontal direction, a, a interpersonal relational direction. Uh, he says, give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. Lead us not into temptation. So before Jesus tells us to start asking for the requests that we need. He says, let's get our minds and hearts set on our Father. Let's go there first. Now, this is an act of grace. This isn't God being an egomaniac. This isn't God saying, I need all the attention, you better. This is an act of sheer grace by our Father. Look at how Tim Keller says this. Uh, This is so helpful. He says, a commitment to put God first and love and follow him supremely is necessary before before God can grant our prayers without harming us. If we are living lives in which God does not have our highest allegiance, then we will use prayer instrumentally, selfishly, simply to try to get the things that may already be ruining our lives. Oh man, that's good. So Jesus is welcoming us. He's inviting us. He's saying, hey, let's get our minds and our hearts set on God because he is good, he is wise, he is for you and never against you. Because here's the thing, we oftentimes think that we want things that will actually end up destroying us. So Jesus is saying to us, when you pray, the place to start is with a right understanding as to who God is and then to pray in light of what God is all about. So what are these things that God is all about? First, Jesus says, when you pray, pray that God's name would be hallowed. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, that's not typical language that I would use in my everyday life. Uh, so what exactly is Jesus saying here? I think we kind of intuitively get this, but let's unpack it a little bit. Uh, In the biblical sense, the word name refers to much more than a title that we give someone. It's much more than someone uh, calling me John or my wife Chelsea. Uh, The name of someone actually encompasses and displays who that person most deeply is. To speak of someone's name in this sense is a way of referring to their character, their personality, or their reputation. For example, throughout the scriptures, God has a whole host of names and 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 when we put them together and we hear them we actually get to we we begin to get a glimpse as to who God really is and what he's really like for example here are just a few names of God found in the old testament in Genesis 22 we we learn that the the Lord is our provider who provides what we need in Deuteronomy 33 the Lord is our shield 
In Psalm 37, the Lord our strength. In Psalm 18, the Lord my stronghold. Psalm 23, the Lord my shepherd, the Lord my deliverer, the Lord my rock, the Lord is peace, the Lord my banner, the Lord my light, the Lord your healer, the Lord our righteousness. In Isaiah 43, 14, the Lord our redeemer. This is who our God is. We could go on and on and on, but the point is that when we pray for God's name to be hallowed, we're praying for his character, his reputation, who he is, and all of his glory and beauty to be displayed so that all might know him. And that's what hallowed means, to, to set apart, to display as unique, one of a kind. It's, it's more than that, though. It's, it's to be honored, to be revered, to be cherished, to be worshipped, and to be loved. Perhaps what we're praying for when we pray this is that the reality of who God really is in all of his glory and splendor would break through all of our apathy and indifference. This is a prayer to put things in their proper perspective. Daryl Johnson says that when we pray, hallowed be your name, we are really praying that the reality of who God is would become really real to us. It's the difference between what we say about God and what we actually experience and functionally believe about God. For example, if we all uh, took a, a quiz, a multiple choice quiz on the attributes of God and we had five options uh, as to what God is like. The fr- you know, A, God is sovereign over all things. B, God is gracious. C, God is good. D, God is glorious. Or E, all the above. I know all of us probably would immediately circle E, all of the above. Got that? Easy peasy. I aced the test. Now, uh, if the test wasn't a multiple choice quiz, but rather someone was examining our lives over the next two weeks in our everyday lives in our home, at the workplace, uh, on the ball field. What would folks conclude we actually functionally believe about God? Because here's the thing. If we functionally believe that God was sovereign, that God is good, that God is gracious, that God is glorious, we would be the most joyful, peaceful, hopeful, content people on all the earth. So when we're praying, Father, hallowed be your name, we're pleading with God that he would, by his grace, make who he really is really real to us. And not just in such a way that we can recite it back on a quiz, but that we're actually transformed at the deepest level of our beings, that we really do rest and trust in the goodness of the Lord. And not just for us only, but so that our neighbors and the nations might know who God is. Now here's good news. Uh, God is absolutely determined to make this happen. We're not twisting God's arm to do something he doesn't want. In fact, in one of the greatest Old Testament, New Covenant passages, Ezekiel 36, I'm not going to read it all. You should go, go read it. It's fabulous. Uh, God promises. He says, I will, I will, I will. He promises that he will vindicate the holiness of name and he's going to do it through his people. And how is he going to do it? By giving us a new heart and putting his spirit within us that we might know him, love him, worship him, and follow him all the days of his life. His people have made a mess of his name among the nations. Oh, God's going to vindicate the holiness of his name. So when we pray, Father, hallowed be your name, we're saying, God, pour out your spirit on us that I might know you, love you, worship you, that who you are would grip me at the depths of my being that the nations and my neighbors might know who you are. Oh, would we pray, Father, hallowed be your name. 
Second, Jesus tells us to pray that our Father's kingdom would come. His saving, liberating, powerful reign and rule. Jesus is inviting us to join in on God's kingdom building, kingdom coming project. Now, I want to be clear about this. Uh, We don't build the kingdom. God does. We receive the kingdom. We proclaim the kingdom. We invite folks into the kingdom. Our Father does all the heavy lifting. Even like our art and scripture verse, it is a Father's good pleasure to give us the kingdom. But I want you to notice the word Come, may your kingdom come. This is revolutionary if we can hear it. This sets the whole trajectory of what our hope really is. Uh, Jeremy Treat, he says this. He says, many Christians today think of salvation as leaving earth for heaven, but the story of scripture is quite the opposite. The message of the kingdom of God is not an escape from earth to heaven, but God's reign coming down from heaven to earth. The focus of God's reign is his people, but the scope of God's reign is all of creation. We aren't praying to leave earth and go to heaven. We're pleading that heaven will come and invade earth. This is our Father's plan. This is our Father's purpose. This is what he's doing in the world. Now, Jesus, he gives us a lot of commands. If you read the Gospels, he gives us lots of instructions, but he only tells us to seek one thing first. Matthew Matthew 6.33, Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of heaven. This sets all of our priorities. This frames up all of our pursuits. Everything we do and we're about is, is framed up and guided by this pursuit of the kingdom of God. But, but not only that, seeking first the kingdom of God is incredibly freeing. It frees us from the crushing weight of trying to build our own kingdoms. It frees us from the the burden of trying to make our own names great. It frees us from the impossible attempts of making people fall into line with our agendas. Good news, our Father's doing all the heavy lifting for his namesake and the advancement of his kingdom. We can simply enjoy it. Listen, in Jesus, when he came, the kingdom of God pierced the kingdoms of this world. On the cross, as Jesus was bleeding and dying out for his enemies, there stood a sign above him. And it was in Latin and Aramaic and Greek so that all the world could see. And and on that sign, so the message was crystal clear, it read, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. There is a king and he reigns from a cross. But the, the greatest irony in all of history is that the everlasting and true king, he, he reigned from a cross with a crown of thorns, but that's not all. He, he raised victoriously from the grave. And that's not all. He, he ascended to heaven and took his place on the, on the throne where he's reigning and ruling right now by his father's side. And that's not all. He is advancing his kingdom in and through his church. He is proclaiming his gospel message in and through his people. He is setting the captives free. He is healing the sick. He is liberating the captive. He is ruling and reigning. And that's not all. He's soon to be returning. Amen. He is coming. And, and when he returns... Oh, friends, all sin will be done away with. No more hindrance to loving God. All that intimacy with our Father that we long for, oh, we'll see him face to face. The, 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 the sorrows that we feel, the insolvable problems will be undone. His kingdom will be unhindered, unchallenged, unrivaled. All evil and oppression will be done away with, and we will sing for joy for all of eternity. And John says in his letter first john chapter 3 he says behold what manner of love the father has given to us that we should be called children of god 
And that is what we are. He says, what we shall be, we don't even know. But we know we'll be like him because we'll see him as he is. Oh, friends, when the king comes, all of your limitations will be done away with. All of your apathy will be gone. All your indifference will be done. All your disabilities will be done. There's coming a day when King Jesus comes and he's going to make all things new. Come, Lord Jesus, may your kingdom come. Amen. Friends, this is good because here's, here's, <laughs> here's the good news. This isn't wishful thinking. This is guaranteed reality. Lastly, Jesus tells us, that grace-giving, mission-sustaining intimacy with our Father is through asking pleasing petitions to the Father. So after getting our minds and hearts set on who our Father is and what he's about, Jesus says that now, <laughs> now we begin to ask for what we really need. It kind of puts things into perspective, right? When we look to the glory of God and we look to his kingdom advancement, now we realize, okay, let's pray in light of that. Look with me at Luke 11, uh, verse 2 and 4 again. Let's read it. It says, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. So Jesus, uh, in closing the Lord's Prayer here, he gives us several petitions, requests that, that the Father loves to answer. He says to pray for daily provision to pray for ongoing relational wholeness, and to pray for grace for our times of vulnerability. Let's look at these each briefly. First off, daily provision. Jesus says to pray, give us each day our daily bread. Now we live in a world that is so dominated by self-sufficiency and abundance that we rarely think to ask God for our daily needs. We just assume that we're the ones who provide for our daily needs, and we're the ones to make it happen. To pray for daily bread is to ask God to give us what we need to survive each day. To pray this is to acknowledge that God and not us is the ultimate provider. I love how uh, a guy named Gene Veith states this in uh, one of his books called God at Work. He says, we ask God to give us this day our daily bread, and he does give us our daily bread. He does it by means of the farmer who planted and harvested the grain, the baker who made the flour into bread, the person who prepared our meal. We might today add the truck drivers who hauled the produce, the factory workers in the food processing plant, the warehouse men, the wholesale distributors, the stock boys, the lady at the checkout counter. Also pr playing their parts are the bankers, future investors, advertisers, lawyers, agricultural scientists, mechanical engineers, and every other player in the nation's economic system. All of these were instrumental in enabling you to eat your morning bagel. I love that. The earth is the Lord's in the fullness thereof. He is more than able to provide all that we need. He welcomes us to ask him every day, Father, provide what I need this day. This day. Now I love, uh, I, you know, uh, some of you know my past is, uh, you know, I, I struggled with addiction for a while and so I was involved in some 12-step programs for a while, and one thing that I really appreciated about uh, their 12-step emphasis was um, living day by day, one day at a time. Uh, as, as any of you might know who have struggled with this yourself or you know family or friends that who have struggled, there's a huge emphasis. Um, you know, you'll hear the phrase a lot in, in that kind of culture, just for today. 
which is so sweet, right? But, but here's the difference between a 12-step program emphasis on living for the day and living under our Father's grace. In a 12-step program, all the burden lands on us as the individual. Just today, I'm not going to use. Just today, I'm going to do this. Just today, I'll go there. Just today, I'll go here. Just today, I'll call this person. Just today, I, 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 I. The Father says, just for today, I'll provide all you need. Just for today, you can rely on my grace. Just for today, you can trust my provisions. Friends, we get to trust our Father every day. And then John chapter 6, Jesus tells a crowd, he says, I am the bread of life. Maybe our deepest need is grace for today. Maybe the, the wounds of our soul need fresh healing today. Maybe just enough grace to get through this day. Maybe we need grace for the circumstances we're in, grace to not run away, but grace enough to stay just for today. And then tomorrow, we can ask our Father for grace tomorrow again. And so we pray, Father, provide for what I need that others might see you as a God who cares, the God who provides, the God who leads, and the God who feeds. Now, I love this. The Father is not cruel and annoyed when we ask him for things that we need every day. He delights in it. He delights when we look to him as the one who provides all things. So let's ask daily, Father, give us what we need for the sake of your mission. When we start asking God for daily provision, whether it be grace from Christ or physical food or whatever else we might need, suddenly we'll realize we'll have 10,000 things to be thankful for. You want the secret of a grateful heart? Start asking your Father for daily needs and see how he provides abundantly. Every good gift comes from the Father of lights. Next, Jesus says to pray for ongoing relational wholeness. He says, forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. It was the Father's good pleasure to send Jesus to die for sinners. If you're in Christ, I have the best news in the world. You're forgiven and free. <laughs> and we didn't have to twist the arm, the, the, our Father's arm to do it. This is good pleasure to do that. Um, <laughs> the Father will never hold a grudge against you. Because Jesus paid the price in full, that the work is finished, that there's no condemnation, this means that we no longer have to hide from the Father. We don't have to pretend that we didn't blow it yesterday or this morning or right now in our hearts. We don't have to pretend at all. I call this relational wholeness because we all know what it's like, don't we, to hide secrets in our hearts from people we're close to? We might physically be present. They might really love us. But when there's these secrets in our hearts that we're holding back and not concealing, or sorry, we're concealing and not revealing, there's, there's a tension there. And our Father, is, Jesus is telling us when we pray, we can daily have deep intimacy with the Father. We can confess our sins daily, ask for forgiveness daily, not because we need to be justified again, not because we're threatened with condemnation, but because the Father longs to welcome us into enjoying His daily presence. And so good news, brothers and sisters, today, right now, if there's something in your mind and heart that is nagging at you, you know you didn't, you've been hiding it from the Father, Jesus says, oh man, right now you can be free. Right now. 
You can just open up to him. And not only with the Father, but also with one another. He says, for we forgive those who are indebted to us. Jesus longs for us. We, we get to pray for relational wholeness with our Father and with one another. We all know what bitterness does to our souls. We all know what um, resentment does to our souls. We all know what holding grudges does to our souls. Jesus is saying, as I have forgiven you, so you forgive one another. You want to live a happy, joyful, relationally deep life? Oh, may God give us the grace to forgive quickly, to, to forget quickly, to love deeply, even as a father has loved us. Lastly, Jesus invites us to ask the Father for grace in our times of vulnerability. He finishes by saying, when you pray, say, lead us not into temptation. Uh, Now, the book of James in chapter 1, James says that God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Jesus is saying that the desires of our hearts are meant for God. That we will find our true satisfaction in him alone. But we all have the temptation, don't we, to seek fulfillment, to seek to fill the void, to find our desires in someone or something that will never actually satisfy And so Jesus is saying, lead us not into temptation. Now, the best way that the desires of our hearts won't be lured away to, to seek fulfillment in every other thing is if by the grace of God we are so satisfied with God himself. And so let us pray, oh God, show me your glory that I might be satisfied in you. Show me your beauty that I might be satisfied in you. Let me experience your fatherly love that I might be satisfied in you. Oh God, my heart is restless and it, Oh, but I can find rest in you. May we pray, Lord, lead us not into temptation, but today may my heart be satisfied in you alone. So in these last three petitions, Jesus is telling us that our Father will grant us everything we need to stay engaged on mission over the long haul. He invites us to ask, and he is pleased to answer. These are pleasing petitions to the Father. It may, you know, God may answer (laughs) these requests different than we expect, but our Father is good. Our Father is wise. Our Father loves to give grace to his children. And so, Waterbrook, as we continue by the grace of God to follow Jesus as a family on cross-carrying mission, may God make us into a praying church. May God make us into a church that is experiencing the deep love of the Father. May God make us into a church that is absolutely passionate about the things he is passionate about, the glory of his name and the building of his kingdom. And may God give us the grace daily that he would provide all of our needs, that we would be set free from condemnation experientially, and that we would be so satisfied in him that everyone might know that our Father is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So let's close with some prayer points to build into our daily lives. We can pray these in a variation of different ways. Number one, let's pray this. Father, break down any barriers in my heart that keeps me from experiencing your loving grace. We know what it's like, don't we? We can hear it, but our hearts resist. Father, break those walls down. 
I want to experience you. Number two, Father, change my heart so that your passions are my passions no matter the cost. Oh, would we forsake our dreams for the Father's dream and find true freedom and true life and true liberty and making much of his name and the building of his kingdom. Three, let's let's pray. Father, teach me to look to you daily for all that I need to live on mission for you. And I would add, and give us a thankful heart. And lastly, Father, magnify your name in our families, in our church, in the neighborhoods, and in the nations. Amen. All right, let's pray together. Father, we thank you on this Father's Day that when you taught us how to pray, you taught us that we can call you Father. Thank you for adopting us into your family. Thank you for giving us grace upon grace upon grace. Thank you for giving us the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And we do pray, O God, that we would experience your love, that your passions would be our passions, that you would give us daily grace for all that we need to live on mission for you. And Father, we plead, magnify your name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you were able to seek, savor, and share the all-surpassing worth of Jesus Christ. If you'd like to find out more about our church, submit a prayer request, watch previous sermons, Go to www.waterbrook.church. Have a blessed week.